Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the factors that determine how other people see us with Vivian Zayas from Cornell University. You'll also learn about why and how you should avoid asking for too much advice. Let's satisfy some curiosity. It's not just how we look or how we act that determines how people see us. So what does determine what people think of us? Researchers might have some hunches based on some ongoing studies. And one of those researchers is Vivian Sayas, the director of the Personality Attachment and Control Laboratory at Cornell University. She's back for another edition of our Mentality Mondays miniseries, with some insights into how researchers study first impressions. But more than that, she has some surprising information about exactly how subjectively people really see each other. What she told us might surprise you. You know, a lot of the work on um, first impressions tends to focus on some people are, for example, more attractive than other people. Or some people are just more liked than other people. Or some people are more trustworthy than other people. That's what's called a target effect, right? And the assumption is that if we are given 10 people and we're asked to evaluate those 10 people, the three of us are going to generally agree. That's the assumption. And there is some consistency in our evaluations, some, but it doesn't explain all of it, actually. And actually, if you can break down how much is due to the target versus there's another source of what influences whether we like someone or not, and that's what's called a perceiver effect. So some people might think that everybody's attractive or everybody's trustworthy, right? So that would be a perceiver effect. And then there's what's called the interaction between the the person that you're viewing, the target, and yourself. We can call this like chemistry. I might like person A more than person B. And Ashley, you might like person B more than person A. And what we know from some of the work is that um, in terms of first impressions of like who do you like, what we're seeing is that about 20% of the judgment is based on we tend to agree that some people are more likable than other people. 40% is a person effect. Some people are just like everybody and some people don't. And then 40% is sort of idiosyncratic. We have preferences and our preferences aren't all the same. And that accounts for 40% of the variability. We'll say that one more time just so it sinks in. In terms of first impressions, about 20% of the time, we tend to agree that some people are just more likable than other people. 40% is a person effect, as in some people just like everybody and others don't. And the final 40% is personal preference. That's a lot of percents. And to me, that is really interesting and also important because I feel like we tend to simplify things again, right? And I think we tend to think that just some people are more attractive, some people are more likable, some people have it, and some people don't. And that there's a little bit of truth to that. There are people who are more attractive, and some people we tend to agree somewhat. But there's a lot of idiosyncrasy, a lot of preferences. And we see preferences in almost every aspect of our lives. We don't all want to live in the same cities. We don't all want to live in the same communities. We don't all want to live in the same type of house. We don't all want to wear the same types of clothes. We don't all go to the same type of restaurant. Even if we go to the same restaurant, we don't all eat the same type of food. There are preferences. And so why wouldn't we have these preferences when it comes to who we find attractive and who we want to hang out with and who do we want to be friends with? But it's a little bit complicated. It's harder to get a grasp of these interactions. And so... 
we tend to focus on target effects. And I think there's some importance to target effects, but I think it doesn't present the whole picture. And to me, I find it really interesting that there is so much idiosyncrasy, so much that when we're meeting someone and we're making a decision, for example, do I want to be friends with this person? A person's not saying, does everybody necessarily want to be friends with them? I'm saying, do I want to be friends with this person? Am I attracted to this person? And there's a lot of personal preference in that. So that's one part of the first impressions work, one finding there that I'm really interested in. So would, would you say then that probably everybody is attractive and likable to somebody? I have not yet looked at that. What I might expect is that, yes, there's going to be maybe, um, there, I am hesitant to say everybody, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the majority of people are going to be attracted to the majority of other people. I might also expect that some people will draw more people to. And so I, th- I, I do think that there is some complexity to these analyses that okay. we haven't done yet. Here's one takeaway from this research. Maybe don't worry so much about whether you're broadly likable to other people all the time, and instead just do your best to make a good first impression on the next person you meet. There's probably not a person out there who everyone likes, although to be fair, Patrick Stewart comes pretty darn close. Anyway, that was Vivian Sias, the director of the Personality Attachment and Control Laboratory at Cornell University. You can hear her and lots of other interesting people on Cornell University's podcast series called What Makes Us Human. It just wrapped up its fourth season, and their episodes are really interesting, not to mention even shorter than ours. You can find links to that podcast and more in today's show notes, and you'll hear from Professor Tsias again next week. One way to get someone to like you a whole lot more is by giving a gift from today's sponsor, Paint Your Life. And I believe I know somebody that recently did this. I did. I got a portrait of my great-grandmother, great-grandfather, and grandmother as a baby turned into a painting for my mom for Mother's Day. And so when I called my mom on Mother's Day and she had just opened her present, it was like she didn't even answer the phone, really. It's like the phone turned on and then it was just her talking to my brother about how amazing it looked and comparing you know, his facial features to like my great grandfather's facial features. And I was like, mom, hey, (laughs) she was so delighted. And I just can't wait to go home for the holidays and see it up on her wall. That's super cool. And that's pretty much the whole idea, right? I mean, you can have an original painting of yourself, your children, family, a special place or a cherished pet, all at a price you can afford, by the way, from paintyourlife.com. And it's a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist that is created from a favorite photo, like the one you talked about. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded. It's a work of art. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 30% off your painting. That's right. 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word CURIOUS to 484848. That's curious to 484848. One more time, text C-U-R-I-O-U-S to 484848. Message and data rates may apply. According to research, you can, in fact, ask for too much advice. Sure, you can help your career by asking your experienced coworkers for advice on the job, but you may want to think twice before you ask multiple colleagues about something in the same way you'd read a bunch of Yelp reviews before you buy something online. Here's why. When you ask someone for advice, you're creating a vulnerable interpersonal interaction, and you're asking that person to spend time offering their thoughts. 
In return, your advisor might expect a level of control over the outcome. In other words, they might want to tell you what to do, even when you were just hoping to tap into the wisdom of the crowd by talking to a lot of people without ceding control to anyone. When the advice giver and receiver have mismatched expectations like this, relationships can sour. So asking for advice is actually a risky endeavor. Getting multiple perspectives is even more risky. For example, for one study, researchers surveyed 200 people who were asked to recall a time when they gave advice. The researchers found the participants felt flattered when they were asked for advice, but they also felt less close to the person receiving the advice afterward if their advice was ignored. Similarly, when compared to people who were asked exclusively for advice, people who were just one of many asked for advice were more likely to feel offended and less likely to continue their professional relationship with the person seeking that advice. To the researchers, these two problems are clearly related. Asking multiple people for advice makes you less likely to take any one person's advice, which means your advisor has less control and a higher chance of being ignored. So yes, crowds can be wise, but they can also be controlling, even downright domineering. If you value your relationship with your advisors, only ask for their advice when you really think you might take it. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.